Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. with me tonight, please, to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter number four this evening, Mark chapter number four, and I want to begin uh, a message that we will just introduce tonight, and uh, then this coming Wednesday night, Lord willing, uh, we will uh, preach the rest of it, but Mark chapter number four, let's begin reading in verse number 35, when you find your place, I invite you to stand. And we'll begin in verse 35 and read through the end of the chapter. Very familiar text this evening. Mark chapter number 4 and verse number 35. If you're there, say amen. 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 The Bible says, and the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was, in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that, that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him. You may be seated. We'll bow for a word of prayer together tonight and then get into the thought that the Lord has given us for tonight. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. God is thankfully and humbly, Lord, as we know how. Thank you, Lord, for the ability, God, that we have to pray. The ability, God, that we have to be in church this evening. God, the great honor that we have as we have uh, just a moment ago as seen as people have given. And uh, Lord, they've given to the children's offering to be used for your honor and your glory here as an act of worship. Lord, as we sing, God, that's worship. As we give, that's worship. As we as we share the praise reports, that's worship. Lord, as we open a Bible and read together, that is a form of worship. Lord, as we preach and as the people of God encourage and back preaching, all of those things are, are forms of worship. And Lord, I know that we call this uh, time our midweek prayer meeting, but even in the midst of prayer, we, we never, we must never forget that this is also a worship service. And Lord, I pray, dear God, in the name of Jesus, uh, that, God, that you would receive worship and praise and honor and glory in this place tonight. Father, I do pray, as I often do prior to preaching, that you'd forgive me of sin, empty me of self, fill me with your spirit, use me for your glory. Help me, God. To, to preach the Word of God in a way uh, that is pleasing and honoring to you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help me to rightly divide the Word of truth. I pray that you would touch my voice, you would touch my body. Lord, you would uh, touch every part of me, my mind, uh, Lord God, that, that I may be able to preach the preaching, uh, God, that you have put on my heart tonight. Lord, I do pray uh, that you would use me to say that which you would have to be said to your people. I pray, dear God, that... Uh, that you would help me to preach the Word of God, rightly divided. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me not to be uh, fearful of men. Help me not, not to preach for men. But Lord, I pray, dear God, that you'd help me to preach the Word of God as it is in truth and for your honor and your glory. We do pray if there's one here tonight lost, you'd save them. If there's one here tonight that's backslid, they'd get right. And Father, I pray, dear Lord, that every saint of God would find help at your hand uh, through the Word of God tonight. And Heavenly Father, we are careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for all that you are going to do in our midst tonight. In the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. 
and amen. When we come to Mark chapter number four, we come, as I said, to a very familiar passage of Scripture uh, in our New Testament. We come uh, to this chapter and we understand that there is much that is being taught here uh, by the Lord Jesus in the verses that lead up to our text. Mark chapter number four has been called the parable chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And the reason is, obviously, because the first 34 verses of this chapter uh, gives us the words of, the, of a sermon of our Lord in which he is uh, sharing parable after parable after parable and teaching around the Sea of Galilee. When we come to our passage, we understand that Jesus has had a very full and busy day ministering in the cities and villages around uh, the Sea of Galilee during his Galilean ministry. Luke chapter number 8 tells us that. Uh, that he has been ministering in all of the cities and villages round about uh, Galilee. We know that our text says in Mark uh, that Jesus here is closing out uh, his day uh, with, with a very physically, uh, very physically taxing day of ministry. He is closing it out, and he is closing it out by teaching at the seaside, according to verse number one of chapter number four of the Gospel of Mark. The Bible says, and I'm just kind of catching you up to speed with where we are in verse 35. The Bible says that a great multitude is gathered around him, and he is teaching them uh, much uh, he is teaching them uh, much concerning the kingdom of God. As he is teaching, uh, a, a multitude begins to uh, gather around him. The Bible says uh, that it is a great multitude uh, that has gathered around him. So much so that he leaves the seaside and he goes to the bow of a ship and begins to speak to them. And the Bible is telling us here that it was because there were hordes of people that wanted to hear a message from the Lord Jesus. Now, let me just stop for a moment in the context here and say, wouldn't it be wonderful if that is the way that mankind received the teaching of the Lord Jesus to where they could not wait to uh, hear his teaching, to hear his doctrine, as uh, the Bible calls it in another gospel, that this what that, that he is teaching in parables is his doctrine. It is the teaching that he would have uh, for them. And so many people wanted to hear what Jesus had to say on the issues of life that they absolutely crowded the seaside to where Jesus couldn't even stand and preach anymore, but had to retreat to a ship in the uh, docked on the sea to speak to them from. Amen. I would say that it would be amazing not only if human beings received the ministry of the Lord that way, but if we could just get the church of the living God and those that call themselves Christians to desire the teachings of the Lord like this crowd would. Amen. It would be a glad day in our churches. Amen. That we all get to the point to where we would sit and listen to Jesus and to the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the Word of God for as long as we can. The Bible says here that Jesus sat down in this ship. And again, <coughs> I'm catching you up to speed with several uh, gospel accounts. The Bible says that Jesus is sitting on this ship, that he sits down on this ship. No doubt it is a display of the physical exhaustion that he, as a human being, has dealt with from a day that was filled with ministry and teaching. He sits down on the ship. He begins to teach the multitude in parables. The Bible says in verse 3 that he taught many things to them in parables and that these parables was his doctrine for them, his teaching for them. As he teaches these parables, he gives, first of all, the parable of the sower and the soils in verse number one through verse number 20 of our text. In verse 21 through 25, he gives the parable of the lamp. In verse 26 through 29, he gives the parable of growth. And then in verse number 30 through 32, uh, he gives the parable of the mustard seed. And we understand that. Once he 
finished teaching these four parables, verse 33 and 34, lets us know that he privately expounded and explained these parables to his disciples. In verse 10 through 20, the Bible shows him doing that. When the Bible says there in verse number 10, and when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable, and he said unto them, and begins to explain the parable. And so we understand that. So Jesus has been teaching. Jesus uh, has uh, been sharing these parables. He gives an explanation privately <coughs> to his disciples. And after teaching the multitudes and explaining his parabolic lessons to his disciples, Jesus encourages them uh, to do two things. In verse number 36, we see that he, he encouraged the multitudes to depart. The Bible said in verse 36, And when they, speaking of his disciples, had sent away the multitude, the Bible said they took him even as he was in the ship. So he says in verse number 36 that he wanted the multitudes to depart. And then he says in verse number 35 that he wanted the disciples to travel to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. In verse 35, the Bible says, In the same day <coughs> when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. Jesus clearly lets his disciples know what his desire for them is. After this busy day of teaching, after this, uh, after this exhausting day that he has had, Jesus was not uh, willing to simply stop uh, in his ministry, but he shares with his disciples the next step that he has for them and he does not tell them all of the details but he does tell them what he would have for them to do. <clears throat> so as we think about this passage I see this passage in this way. I see Jesus teaching the crowds. I see the crowds hanging on every word that Jesus has to say to them until the evening comes and the sun begins to go down and darkness begins to fall upon this area in the Sea of Galilee. And he tells his disciples that it is time to send the multitudes away. The disciples are used to send the multitudes away. <coughs> And as uh, the multitudes are leaving or they have completely gone, we find that Jesus is alone with his disciples and he clarifies, in my opinion, the meaning of the parables to the disciples. And then he closes out his explanations by reiterating uh, to them what he would have for them to do. And that is uh, that once the crowds are gone away, that there is a journey that they have to make. They get into the ship together. They have him even as he is into the ship. The Bible does not tell us that when Jesus has made clear to them what the next step of their ministry is going to be. The Bible does not say that he tells them why he wants to go to the other side. Let me say, let me say this this evening, <coughs> that when it comes to our life serving God and living for God, we may, not, we may have uh, commands and we may have instructions, but we may not always be privy to information such as why the Lord is doing what he's doing. He does not tell them why he wants them to go to the other side, and he does not tell them why they need to leave right now in the middle of the darkness after a long and tiring day of traveling and serving him and ministering uh, to people why it is that they must leave in this moment. Jesus doesn't tell them that. Here is all that we know that he does tell them. According to verse number 35, in him telling them, let us pass over onto the other side. The first thing he tells them is that it is what he wants for them. You say, preacher, where do you get that? He said, let us pass over. 
He's saying, we're going to allow this to happen. We're going to make this happen. This is my desire. Let us pass over onto the other side. And at number one, he tells them it's what he wants for them. And should that be, should that be a, not be enough for every child of God to be encouraged and mobilized into doing what God says for them to do? We don't always have to understand the why. As long as we know it's what the Lord wants, that should be all we need into serving the Lord. Amen. He tells them in verse 35 it's what he wants. But then he tells them in verse number 35 as well that he wants to go and he wants them to go with him. He said, let us go or let us pass over onto the other side. Us meaning them and he. It means wherever they go, Jesus is going to be on board with them. Wherever this new journey takes them, Jesus is going to be in the middle of it all. Jesus will be with them in the midst of wherever it is that this next ministry assignment is taking them. And is that not encouraging for us tonight to know that when we serve the Lord, there may be times where we don't always have questions like why answered, but we can know that if it's what God wants, amen, he will go with us and be present with us wherever life and ministry for him takes us. Amen. Here we find that he is sharing that with them. And then we understand that they are all headed, uh, that they are headed all the way. to the other side and they will get off to do what Jesus uh, wants for them to do when they get there. He said pass over onto the other side. Passing over doesn't imply to me that when they get there they're going to be satisfied with staying on the boat at the end uh, of the other side of the sea. No, he was wanting to go over to the other side so they can get off the boat and begin to minister there as they have on the this other side of the Sea of Galilee say, preacher, all of that is very elementary, and it is. I'm headed somewhere tonight, okay? Y'all just stay with me tonight. They depart with Jesus on board, and the text tells us that Jesus takes his place in the hinder part of the ship, which, by the way, let me say this just in case I forget it later on in the message tonight. Do you know uh, who sits in the hinder part of the ship? The pilot of the ship does. The captain of the ship. That was his. That the hinder part of the ship was where they had a seat for the pilot to stay. Many Bible commentators say that in verse number 38, when it talks about uh, the pillow in verse number 38, the, uh, these commentators believe uh, that this pillow uh, that is mentioned in verse 38 was the Lord taking the captain, the, the, the cushion's captain's seat and turning it over and using it as a pillow because that's where he was in the hinder part of the ship. We understand that they get on board with Jesus. Jesus takes his place as the pilot of the ship, as the leader of this crew in the hinder part of the ship. And the Bible says in one of the gospel accounts that as they were sailing some point in time on their journey, after them launching forth out into the sea, that Jesus falls asleep. It is after Jesus falls asleep that we begin to see what makes their journey to the other side of the sea so important in God's Word and so important to us this evening. What has made this account in God's Word so important that saints down through the ages have come time and time again to this passage to glean help from God from its words. The Bible tells us this. Do they get on board in verse 36? And the Bible does tell us that Jesus falls asleep. One gospel writer, as I said, said that it happened as they were sailing. But then in verse number 37, we see what makes this passage so important to us this evening. And that is that when they begin to get on, get on with their journey, the Bible says in verse 37, and there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. 
we have all read and studied and heard preached and taught on this great passage about this storm that takes place in the Sea of Galilee. Let me this evening as I introduce the message that we'll be in the next two Wednesday nights, let me begin to notice some things out of this passage that I believe are important for us this evening. Number one, let me say this, that here in this text, we see problems materialize. Verse 37, the Bible said, there arose a great storm of wind. In other words, it seems as if uh, this storm, while they are obeying Christ, while they are doing what he told them to do, while they are passing over to the other side, while they are living for him, that this storm seems to come out of nowhere. It says, there arose. This, can I say this this evening, that where these disciples are in verse number 37 is where so many times you and I uh, come to in our lives that there are times where it seems like the problems of our lives seem to materialize out of nowhere. When they got on board, they weren't signing up for a storm along the way. They were just following the commands of Jesus. They were just going from one ministry assignment to another ministry assignment. And they necessarily were not planning on there being problems along the journey. They weren't thinking about there being a great storm out waiting for them. They did not expect when they entered into this particular area and moment in their ministry and life of the Lord from this to me what happened to them. Amen. And can I say this? When you got saved, you didn't necessarily sign up for a life filled with storms either. When you began, when you fell at an altar and you said, God, whatever you want for my life is what I want for my life, you didn't necessarily uh, envision that all of the problems that would materialize along the way. You didn't anticipate having to bury some of the closest ones that you've ever had in your life. You didn't expect weeks in the hospital fighting for your life. You didn't expect having issues with your children and your friends' children along the way to where you didn't know whether or not they'd make it through or not. You didn't plan for pregnancy complications. You didn't plan for stillbirths and, and heartaches such as that. You didn't plan on so many things that happened in life, but you signed up for the Lord and you knew he was on board and you were trusting that he was on board. Amen. Here we find that problems materialize for them that seem to come out of nowhere. And that is the way that problems seem to come. Living for Christ, you listen to me tonight, living for the Lord Jesus does not always mean that we will have a life that is void of problems and trials. I'll say this, that sometimes living for Christ means that you'll have a brand new list of problems that you probably never would have known had you not trusted the Lord as your Savior. You think about these disciples, if they had never <coughs> answered the call of the Lord Jesus to become his disciples if they would have never left all to follow him they would never have been they never would be getting on this boat to experience the great problems that their life for God was bringing them into that friend I'm telling you is just the way that it is in the life that in the world that we live and the life that we've been called to live can I say this now, I'm not trying to get too deep with this, but there was a very physical reason why this storm came upon them in this day. Obviously, we understand in the Lord's providence, it was something that he desired for them to go through. And I will deal with that more uh, maybe next week. 
But as you think about this particular region, the Sea of Galilee is a sea, is a lake, the Lake of Gennesaret, as it is also called in the New Testament. The Sea of Galilee is a body of water that is often fraught with troublesome winds. It is often, uh, is often the site of vicious storms, even to this day. The geography of this sea with the mountains that surround it cause that that valley in which the sea can be found some 60 feet below uh, the, the, the ocean that all of the mountainous terrain that surrounds the Sea of Galilee act like gigantic funnels that bring the cold air from the mountains rushing through to the sea and this is a kind of phenomenon that many in the Bible and since have declared experiencing as they have sailed the seas of Galilee. One author that I read behind is a man that has for many year, many years ago uh, lived, his, lived his life uh, in the regions of Syria and often made uh, trips upon the Sea of Galilee and around the Sea of Galilee and would encamp in areas that uh, would be near that mountainous terrain. And it said that the winds that would come off of the mountain would be so uh, forceful that they could live a grown man off of the ground if he was not on purpose pushing his weight against the force of the winds. That is where we come to when we come to this text. We find problems materializing that they could not stop, that they cannot help. And that is that not the way that it seems to be in our lives so many times? Amen. The winds here, natural phenomenon. And what we find here is that it is also said that these winds not only are powerful for a little while, but William Thompson and his book, The Land, and the book as he wrote about this particular region in the ancient world said that these vicious winds are known to have lasted for up to several days without a break. So these disciples, they would understand the the, 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 the way that this works in an area in which they live on a sea which some of them were known for fishing in. They would understood what takes place and as the wind began to rush, no doubt fear began to fill their soul. No doubt uh, discomfort and uncertainty began to fill their mind as they do not know where this trial is taking them or how long it will be be until it's over. Can I say that? Is that not some of the, can I say this? Is that not some of the scariest parts of the storms that we face? We don't know where it's going to take us and we do not know how long it is going to be until the storm of our life ceases. Can I say this this evening that as we see here with these disciples sometimes in our lives problems seem to materialize out of nowhere for no reason when all we've tried to do is live for Jesus and they seem to linger on with no promise at all of having any end in sight. We live in a world that, that is sin cursed and problems are just unfortunate and often heart, a heartbreaking result of the environment in which we live. Just like the, the rushing winds off of the mountains was just what happened naturally and environmentally in that part of the world. Can I say this, that storms and trials are just a result of living in a world that is sin-cursed. Living in a world where the devil is the prince of the power of the air. Living in a world that has not been redeemed, that has, that has not been made new by the Creator God. That those are just symptoms of the world in which we live. 
I'll say to you this evening that we are simply at many times victims of the world in which we live. And yes, there will be things that just happen naturally in this world that will cause great heartache and pain in our lives. And then yet there are also things uh, that God um, that God has uh, designed for us to teach us great lessons. No doubt we see both of these on display when we come to our text. While life, this journey called life, while life brings us some of the greatest joys, it most certainly also brings us some of the greatest pains that we'll ever face. So we see here in the text, we see problems materialize. Number two, let me notice this as well. We see peril in the making. Look at verse 37. The Bible says, and there arose a great storm of wind. How horrible that is to fathom. It's not just wind, but it's a storm of wind. It's not just a storm of wind, but it's a great storm of wind. And notice what's added to it. And the waves beat into the ship. And notice this last phrase, so that it was now full. Can I say, as we read verse number 37, there is no doubt that what has begun uh, in the previous verse as they got out onto the ship, and now in verse number 37, what is beginning to unfold is a situation that puts these disciples in great peril. These problems have become perilous. The Bible tells us that these disciples have begun taking notice of what is taking place around them. They understand. They feel the great storm of wind swirling around them. They feel uh, the, the salty water of the waves uh, crashing into their ship. They understand as they stand on board on a boat that is beginning to become full of water. It's not just taking on water, but now it is becoming full of water. Their feet, no doubt, most likely in sandals, have felt the result of the waves that they're standing in. In just the course of a verse, they have noticed their situation change from being a problem to being perilous. They have felt the wind so forceful around them that they are fearful of being blown overboard. They, or they are fearful that the winds will simply tear the ship apart from around them. They have seen the waves as they are crashing into the boat at such speed that in just less than one sentence, their condition goes from just beginning uh, to have, uh, have um, they goes from just beginning a uh, problem to having a ship that is full of water and the reality of the parable uh, or the peril rather in which they are now in is becoming extremely apparent with a, with a ship as I said just a moment ago not just taking on water but now full of water they realize that their ship is due to sink at any moment Consider this. Take your Bible with me real quickly to Luke chapter number 8. <clears throat> this is a comparison passage to where we are this evening. Luke chapter number 8 and verse number 23. Luke chapter 8 verse 23. The Bible says this. But as they sailed... He fell asleep. Speaking about the Lord Jesus. When did he fall asleep? As they were sailing. It goes on to say this. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake. Do you see that's what I told you about the geography, how the Bible gives us inclination of that. It came down upon the lake. And notice this. And they were filled with water. And we're in jeopardy. Now, I understand that at this moment, 
In all three of the gospel accounts, Matthews, Marks, and Luke's, Luke's one that we the, Luke is the one that we're reading in currently. That in Matthew's account and Mark's account and Luke's account, the Bible clearly says that the boat is taking on water and that the boat is now full. But isn't it interesting that in Luke chapter number 8 in verse 23, in a verse where the last time the word they was used is describing the people is describing those on board, is describing the disciples, the Bible says they were filled with water. Now, I'm going to give you something that I feel like personally. I personally feel like that when we read they were filled with water, I believe, yes, we're talking about a boat. But I believe it is very possible, according to the wording of this text, that we could enter into another stage of peril in which these disciples also are being filled with water. I think about it this way. I think about when the Bible says that, I can see these waves that are so huge from the storm's wind as it blows into the boat that the disciples themselves are becoming covered with water. I don't know about you if you've ever been in that much water. You may, may, be in a, it may be on a water ride at Carowinds or something somewhere. But when you have that much water blown, uh, blown at you at one time, it's very easy to breathe in the water. It's very easy to drink it down. Amen. Especially someone in peril. Especially someone uh, with others on board uh, that may be in danger as they're probably checking on one another and giving instructions one to another. I believe it could be very possible that as the ship begins to fill with water, maybe through the noses and the mouths of the disciples, they too are taking in water to the point to where they are also ready to drown even though they're on board the ship. You see how dangerous of a scene this is when we come to in our text. Do we, you see how perilous this is for them? Uh, the Bible here is painting a picture of a scene in which there seems to be no hope or no help. The storm had brought them to the place uh, where uh, storms often bring us a place of great fearfulness. Amen. To where we are fearful of what what we can see going on and what we cannot see going on. Do you see the two implement the two the two things that implement fear and peril and danger in their life? Look at verse 37. The Bible says that it was a great storm of wind and it was the waves that beat into the ship. You know the chief characteristic of wind is something that can be felt but not seen. Can I submit to you this evening that some of the scariest things about going through trials are all of the things that bring fear, although we cannot truly see where our fear should be coming from. When it comes to being fearful, one of the things that, that one of the greatest crippling elements of fear is not in what we do know, but it's in all of the unknowns. They cannot, they can feel this wind, they can feel how powerful it is, but it being an unmovable, uh, an, uns, an unseeable rather, yet powerful force, no doubt brings terrifying fear into their hearts. You cannot combat against something that you cannot see. The wind. You think about this, the waves. The wind is making these waves crash into the ship and you can see the waves. But I don't know the last time you went to the beach and tried to stop one from crashing the shore. <laughs> but you cannot do it. I've spent plenty of times in my life as a young man with my parents taking uh, trips to the seaside and trying to play in the waves to be knocked flat on my back and sometimes on my head more times than I can count. Now, many of y'all looking at me and said, Preacher, that explains it. Amen. All that being dropped on your head. Amen. That explains it. But you can't stop 
that kind of power. You try to stop the raging of the sea. You try to stop the whipping of the wind. And there's nothing you and I can do to stop it. Some of the greatest fears that we will ever experience in life are the things that we know are tormenting us and we are powerless to do anything about it. Am I the only person in the house tonight that's ever been there that has ever felt that? To go through something and you wish with everything that you have that there was something that you could do to change it, to combat it, to put it on the run, to stop it from happening. And there's nothing that you can do. You are at the mercy of the winds and the waves of your trial and your storm. And there's nothing you can do about it. We see the problems materialize. They all they understand, all they know is that they cannot wait it out. It has something has to change now. <laughs> problems materialize. We see peril in the making. But thirdly, can I say this tonight? We see prayer is made. Look at verse 38. The Bible said, and he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Can I say this? I do commend these disciples for going to the Lord in this particular time. And I'll commend each and, any, each and every, every one of you that do not forget that if you're saved by the grace of God, when you're going through the storms of life, if you know the Lord as your Savior, that there is help to be found in the Lord Jesus. Amen. The Bible says that the prayer is made. And I, I say that because anytime we come to Jesus and we speak to Jesus, we can call it prayer. These disciples are, yes, speaking to him face to face in the flesh. But as they talk to the Son of God, we can always apply that to prayer. They're coming to God. They're trying to get his attention. Can I say this this evening? We do not always go to God first when we encounter storms in life. And I'll say this, as you study this text, it is not clear whether the disciples went to him, be, went to him immediately during their storm when they began to see what was taking place. The Bible does not say whether they immediately ran to Jesus or not. There's some folks that I've read behind recently that it was they were of the opinion that, and of course the Bible doesn't say anything about this, and that's that's one of the reasons why you got to be very careful when you read behind some folks. They'll paint, a, they'll have two or three pages of very convincing, uh, very convincing uh, statements about some things that these disciples did that never happened. The Bible never says. But I read behind some folks that they were of the opinion that the disciples were, tr were trying to get water out of the ship on their own. And then when they realized they couldn't do it on their own, then they went to the hinder part of the ship and found Jesus and began to ask him for his help. I do not know whether they came to him immediately or whether or not they did try to uh, do things on their own first. The Bible does not say say either way. The text does not say either way. And so therefore tonight I will not say either way. However, I can say this to you tonight, that all of the gospel accounts of this event do clearly say that in the midst of the storm at some time these disciples did begin to hunt for Jesus. They did begin to seek Jesus. Matthew 8, 24 and 25. Luke 8, 23 and 24. And then our text in Mark chapter number 4 and verse 37 and 38 all clearly state that the disciples went looking for Jesus in their storm. Can I say this in verse, 30, uh, verse number 37? The Bible says, And there arose a great storm of wind, the waves beating to the ship, so that it was now full. Now look at verse 38 in our text. And he was 
Can I say that that implies that they went hunting for Jesus? If you can tell me where he was, that means that you have been trying to locate him and you found him as he was. The Bible said he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow and they awake him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Verse 38 implies that Christ was located by them, that Christ was approached by them. The Bible said they saw him asleep on a pillow. They had to get close enough to see that. Amen. The Bible said they observed him asleep on a pillow and they were approached him and it observed him to the point to where they were close enough to where when they spoke to him he heard their voice when he said unto them the Bible said they awake him and say unto him master carest thou not that we perish can I say this this, this evening when we are in trouble we should do exactly what these disciples did. I do not know whether they did it immediately or whether they came around to it, but the fact of the matter is, is they did what they needed to do. They sought out Jesus in the midst of their storm. They came to Him in the midst of their storm. And can I say this? When we are in trouble, we need to spend time in prayer to the Lord. So many times we go through trouble and we use God as a last resort when He ought to be our first choice. We, we, we failed to pray. When we have problems come, we run far away from the Lord instead of to the Lord. We lay our Bibles down. When we go through trouble, we stop reading our Bible. We stop praying. We stop going to church. We stop going to Sunday school. We stop doing all the things. We stop listening to preaching. We stop having good godly fellowship and rather embrace friends in the world. And then we, we'd rather be around them and get their counsel instead of counsel that will point us to Jesus and help us in the storms of life. Amen. Can I tell you that ought not to be. Especially if you're like these disciples and you claim to love God and you claim to be a follower of Jesus. It ought to be more than just well I'm going to walk away from God because everything is as I think he should make it for me in the moment. If anybody Deserve to be able to live that life with a silver spoon in an easy track, I promise you it would should be these disciples who had left all to follow him and they were headed for places of martyrdom themselves. Some would die at the end of a spear. Some would die by beheading. Some would die on crosses. Some would die by being pulled apart by animals and so on and so forth. If anybody, if God knowing their heart, if anybody deserved an easy road in ministry, it should be these men that called themselves the 12 apostles of the Lord Jesus. Amen. But they didn't get an easy road. Why in the world would we expect to ourselves? People that wouldn't, that people that, that, that we can say uh, so often that there are so much of life by way of Christian diligence and devotion that we put on the back burner because we just don't have time for that. When these individuals, they went through a storm, they were fighting for their very lives and they had left all to follow Jesus. They had answered the call to a lifetime service that would bring nothing but a sword in their life, but yet they still had hard times. Can I tell you this evening, we go through those things. We ought not to depart from God. We ought to run to Him. All throughout the Bible, we find people praying to God, especially during times of trouble. The book of Psalms is full of times when David and the other psalmists called upon the one that they had found to be one who is a very present help in trouble. Whether they did it immediately or whether they did it when they realized they were at the end of their rope, it is clear that the disciples did, in fact, seek Jesus in their trouble. They called out to him in a way that many Christians have in their own times of trouble. They said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Isn't it amazing? We go through, go through things that simply life brings, that just being in a sin-cursed world brings, and we want to blame God. 
It doesn't matter how many times the Lord has come through before. If in this moment I don't understand what He's doing, I don't understand the why, I don't understand why it is that I have to go through this, it doesn't matter how many times He's taken care of me in the past, given me a roof over my head, put food in my belly, clothes on my back, doesn't how many times, matter how many times uh, He has gotten rid of fevers off of my children and saved their life from things uh, that could have killed them and spared my life time and time again, saved me from a devil's hell, fit me for glory, and has given me all uh, spiritual blessings in Christ and a million physical blessings in this world. It seems with us in our life as human and sinful and wicked as we are, even in that deceitful heart of ours, God can do a million things for us. And the one time we feel like God is not caring for us the way that we think He should, we come to him and we blame him. Master, carest thou not that we perish? And I'll say this, you say, preacher, that's not me. And I say this, if these disciples would charge the Lord with that, I promise you anybody in this building, including this preacher, is, is susceptible to do the same. I don't understand why you're doing this, God. It must be because you don't care. I submit to you that there are some things that while God is in control, He has created a natural law of nature that must take place. Here, it's not that the Lord does not care for them, because while they're going through this trial, He is present with them. He didn't abandon them. He didn't leave them by themselves while they're going through this. He is in the raging waves of the sea with them. It's not just them that is facing the water. It's not just them that is facing the waves. Everything that they experience, Jesus is experiencing. What's, what makes the difference in it all, though, is they are filled with fear, and He is filled with faith. The Bible says this, we understand that they made their prayers. We understand that it's all too common of people like us in times of trouble to wonder if God cares. They know, they say here in their statement, Master, carest thou not that we perish? They knew that He is the Master. He is in control of all things, both natural and supernatural. They have been with Him while He has performed miracles. Just recently, before this moment of a teaching tour, as he went around the cities and villages of Galilee, they were with Jesus as he uh, cast demons out of folks that were possessed with devils. They had seen him perform the supernatural. But they say he must not care for us. He might care for those that he cast the demons out, but he must not care for us because he has the ability to change this and he doesn't. They knew he was the master. And can I say this as well? Not only did they know he was the master, but they knew He was their master. They left all to follow Him. This word master means He was their rabbi. He was their teacher. He was their instructor. He was their leader. He was the one that was supposed to be taking care of them. And now it seems like He has abandoned that role. And what has He abandoned it for? He's abandoned it for a pillow. He's abandoned it for a moment of ease. They, they look at this scenario and they say, we are alarmed, but he's asleep. They say that they felt like uh, that uh, they were on the precipice of losing their life, but he's not concerned. He's asleep. In their mind, they think that he is not and cannot be bothered by what's bothering them. And I don't, I don't mean to, to be a Debbie Downer tonight, but I'll say this. I have dealt with many Christians down through the years that they felt the same thing. Maybe you tonight have felt the same way a time or two this week, this month, this year.
And I'm not fussing. Don't take me wrong. We all get there at some point in time in our life where we're going through something and we say, God can change this. And he's supposed to be the one in control. And he's supposed to have my best interest in mind. He's supposed to be taking care of me. And we sing about uh, the wonderful provisions of the Lord and how he's taking care of us and how much Jesus loves us and how much he loves even me and how he's going to take care of me. And we say things like that. And it seems like in this moment, he is not and cannot be bothered by what bothers us. They came to Jesus. They spoke to him. They found out that their prayer did what prayer does. Notice, it, verse, notice verse number 39. They prayed even in their doubt, even in their fear, even in their alarm. They come to Jesus. And even in fear and doubt, the Bible says, look at the grace of God in verse 39. They just said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? But the Bible said, and he arose. No doubt, when the Lord stands up, it gave great comfort to these fearful disciples to realize that business is about to pick up because Jesus is awake, Jesus is alert, Jesus is here, and he can deal with this situation. We see here that their prayer is doing what prayer does. You say, preacher, what does prayer do? It moves God. So in this passage, we see problems materialize. We see peril is in the making. We see prayer is made. But lastly, we see providence is moved. Robert Jarvis told us this many years ago in Bible college when speaking on prayer. He said, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the arm of omnipotence. Psalm 34, 17 says, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all of their troubles. There's a multitude of scripture in this Bible that could be mentioned tonight that echo the sentiments of the psalmist in Psalm 34, 17. Jeremiah 33, 3 being one of them that says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. What the scriptures promise us is exactly what Christ is fulfilling in verse number 39. The Bible says that their prayer caused Christ to awake out of his physical earthly slumber and arise to do great and mighty things. The Bible says here that he acknowledges them. He hears their voice. He recognizes their need. He recognizes their desperation. He acknowledges them. Not only does he acknowledge them, but he arises. The Bible said he arose and then the Bible says this, he acts. What did he do? He arose. He rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Verse 41, they asked this question, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Can I submit to you that these disciples on this day are beginning a series of lessons learning who they're really following, learning who it is that's in the boat with them in this journey called life, learning who is with them as they serve him and minister for him. He is a God that speaks to creation and it has to obey. Can I say this? We see that that their prayer, that the, in, their, in their peril, in their problems, they prayed and providence was moved. He acknowledged their need. He heard their voice. He knew how desperate they were. And he began to act on their behalf. I told you tonight I was going to give you some introductory thoughts to lead us to what I wanted to preach. And that's what I'll preach next week. And that is this subject, what Jesus, or excuse me, how Jesus acts in a storm. All of these verses show us they were in the storm of their life. They were in the storm of their life, fighting for their very life. They called out to God to act on their behalf. 
and we come to the end of this ch chapter, we find the Son of God doing what they asked Him to do. He acts. He moves. He ministers on their behalf. And I'm telling you tonight, there will be problems that we'll go through in life. There'll be times that we're feeling like we're drowning under the winds and the waves of the storm that we'll ex experience in life. We will wonder whether God actually cares. We will begin to pray and pray and pray some more, begging God to act in our storm. And God's put it on my heart to share with you tonight the reality where we all stand and then next week to show you how Jesus acts in the storms that we all deal with. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm done preaching tonight. I've preached tonight on a reality that we all know is true, that we all have dealt with, that we've all struggled with. We all can say that we've been in the place of these disciples. We all can say that our hearts have been there, our mind have thought some of these things. We've just wondered what God is doing in the midst of it all. We wonder if Jesus cares, if He's concerned, if He can even be bothered by what you're going through seems like he's sleeping on you when you're in the storm of your life. You're in peril and he has pillowed his head. He's in comfort. You're in chaos. Is that you tonight? If that's you, I encourage you to come. Do business with God. Can I tell you this? That just the fact that he got up that he arose when they said master carest thou not that we perish when he stood to his feet children you know what he did he began to prove to them to show them not just in word but in action where it means the most that he really does care for them it means more to me for someone to show me they care than tell me they care. No doubt it's the same with you. Jesus is showing them that he cares. Next week we'll see the different things that he does to show them that he cares. But tonight I just simply want to remind you that he does care. He is concerned. asleep on a pillow because that which was terrifying him, them, did not bother him a bit. He is a sovereign reigning Lord. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the King of all creation. All that there is, natural and supernatural, must bow before him must give themselves to his commands. He is the only one on that ship that day that could rebuke wind and waves and speak to natural phenomenon and they recognize his voice and obey it. That's the God you have. That's the God that I have. That's the Lord that we serve. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.